Right, so we're going to start a new series today. Um, and, but I just want to backtrack a little bit. But the foundation scripture that Chris and I had for this church, for Family Church Waterlooville, at the beginning of this year, was from Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. By my spirit, this is the new series. Oh, doesn't that look good, eh? Johnny and, and, and um, Debbie. <laughs> Debbie. Sorry, Debbie. When you sit there, it just muddles my head. I can't forget your name when you sit there. Debbie and Johnny, thank you. You're doing a great job. Let's give them a hand. Come on. <laughs> Sorry, Debbie. But Zechariah 4.6 was a scripture that God gave to us for, the, for this church, that it's not by might, it's not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. That was that something, the scripture that God gave to us right at the beginning of this year. And we're going to spend a number of weeks speaking about the person of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I just, who loves the Holy Spirit? Isn't he just so awesome? We're going to hear about who he is, what he does. We're going to focus on a number of his attributes, and we're going to look at his indwelling presence. You know, all throughout from, from time past to present-day ministry in the life of the believer. And, you know, one of your family church has a number of values. We have these values, which is something that we place a value in. And one of our values is that we are spiritual, and the, and the meaning of that is that we acknowledge the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But we don't just acknowledge the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We, we don't just sort of mentally ascend, yes, hallelujah, there is a present-day ministry of the Holy Spirit. No, we, we acknowledge, but we expect to experience the everyday infilling, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We can expect to experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit, being filled, empowered, and led daily by the Holy Spirit. And just a couple of weeks ago, I can't believe it was two weeks ago, I think, Chris and I went to the AOG conference. So Family Church is part of the Assemblies of God group of churches. And um, if you read your email this week, you'll see a photograph that we took at the conference, and it shows you this massive hall. There were about 3,000 pastors attending this AOG conference, and the AOG in the UK represents about 500 Pentecostal churches. And, um, you know, and I think it's so good for us to realize, you know, because when we're meeting in a smaller setting, like I know a number of people here actually came from, I want to say the mothership, from Family Church Portsmouth, <laughs> you know, it sounds like a spaceship, no, uh, but comes from Family Church Portsmouth, and, and so you, you, you're used to a bigger experience of, the ch of church. Um, Chris and I, we come from a mega church in South Africa, it used to seat 7,000 people every Sunday, three times on a Sunday, so it's a big church. But when you get used to coming to a smaller expression of the church, you know what, we can feel a little bit isolated, and we can think, oh my word, you know, is this it? But when you, when you start experiencing something bigger, um, and you go to a conference like that, and I, that's why I also want to plug the, the, the conference that we're having on the 15th of July, all the congregations, family church, all the different congregations, 
we're going to be ha um, holding church, having a conference, a one-day conference on a Saturday in Horndean Technology Center. The place only seats 400. You have to register. And there's going to be, we're expecting about 2,000 people to want to come. So if you want to attend, you best register now. It's a cost of five pounds just to cover some of the costs. But if you can't afford it, doesn't matter. Don't let the cost stop you. But it's an all-day conference, and it's good to actually see we're part of something bigger. You know, we're not just this isolated little group. There are thousands, tens of thousands, of Pentecostals in the UK and worldwide millions. There are millions of us. We're not isolated, okay. And so it's important to remember that the Pentecostal movement actually didn't start in 1906 in Azusa Street. That wasn't the start of the Pentecostal movement. No, the, 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 the start of the Pentecostal church started over 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost. And we're going to hear about this good stuff I love, preaching on the Holy Spirit. Oh, I love it. But we're going to see how the Holy Spirit has been actively engaged, has been actively engaged on planet Earth, not just from the day of Pentecost. Go right back to creation. The first time the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the Bible is in the first book, the book of Genesis, the first chapter, the second verse. The first time that he's mentioned. And all the way through my Bible, right to the very end in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, the last chapter of Revelation 22:17, we see another reference, the last reference to the Holy Spirit, where in Revelation 22:17 it says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water freely. The Spirit and the bride. The Spirit is the Spirit of God. And he's saying, come. He's drawing us closer. And the bride is the body of Christ. It's the bride of Christ. If you're not a born-again Christian yet, guess what? All of us here that are born again, we're saying, come. Come. Don't, don't deny the drawing power of the Holy Spirit in your life. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. The Holy Spirit is the one who's drawing us. He's drawing us. So right through, through from Genesis to Revelation, from cover to cover, if you look carefully enough, you'll see the work of the Holy Spirit on every page of that Bible. He's there everywhere. I love him. So, Let's go right back to the beginning, shall we? Go right back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Now you know why this was going to be a long message. I'm <laughs> like, uh-oh, <laughs> we've got all the books in between. Oh, we're going to go through. No, just we'll, we'll take it slowly today. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God. That word for God is the word Elohim. It's a plural word, and it doesn't, it's not singular, it's plural, and it means the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were present at creation. It's so important to remember this. This is, 
uh, it's just blown my mind this week. I just feel like God is just all over this. But God is one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But there's total unity between the Godhead, total unity. Three persons, same character. God is one God, three distinct persons, united in vision and purpose. The Holy Spirit is one of the persons of the Holy Sp- of, of the Godhead. So when God speaks throughout the Bible, we see the words, and God said, and God said. We know that it's not just God the Father that is speaking. It represents all three of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is speaking all throughout the Bible. John 14, 11, Jesus said these words. He said, I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me. And listen to what it says in Colossians 2, 9. It says, for in him, Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Christ dwells all the fullness of the, of the Godhead bodily. So when God created the heavens and the earth, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were present and no one else. No one else was there. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I, I've, I've dug out the scripture. No, the Holy Spirit showed it to me. Um, from Isaiah. Isaiah 42. Isaiah 40, sorry. Isaiah 40. It's the way Isaiah the prophet explains creation for us. It's like a dummy's guide. An idiot's guide to creation. I'm so glad God gives us insight into his word. But look at these rhetorical questions that the prophet Isaiah writes about creation. He says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? (laughs) Think about that. Who's measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Measured heaven with a span and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure? Who's weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in balance. Then he goes on, who's directed the spirit of the Lord? Or as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel? Who gave, who gave the Holy Spirit advice? <laughs> who instructed him? Who taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Oh, you know what, when, when we read the Bible, I don't know if it's just me, but I'm sure, I, I'm sure I speak for all of us, that I think we sometimes try to understand God with our finite minds, that we try to understand. And I love the picture that Isaiah, the prophet, paints here with his words. You know, we sing that song, or the kids do, my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, and that there's nothing that he cannot do. But I think sometimes a, think, a thought like that puts some uh, a thinking in my mind that maybe this God is so big that he's this giant human-shaped person, but that's not who he is. God is a spirit. John 4, 24 says, God is a spirit, not a human. And here, Isaiah the prophet helps us understand a little bit about God by speaking about him in human terms. And he says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? 
hand. That's God. He measures the water in his hand and the exact quantity that's required. What else does he say? He's measured heaven with a span. A span is the distance between your thumb and your, your little finger. It's about nine inches in a man's hand. He's, you know, how big is God that he measures the heavens like that? How big is he? Hey? Oh, he's big. Um, he calculated the dust of the earth. He weighed the mountains in scales. It's completely balanced. He calculated and created the exact amount of dust for the earth that requires earth to keep it spinning on its axis. You know, the, the, the waters, when you think about the waters in creation that God has created, it's constantly moving. The, you know, there's tides that come. Where's, where's um, Steph with his surfing expertise. Chris used to surf as a, as a young man, but so you know it's all about tides. They're tides, they, they, they ebb and they flow. There's no consistency with water. Water is very unstable. I don't know if you've noticed, eh? But the water, the tides constantly ebb and flow. When you, if you, I don't know if you've ever seen um, on the news, for instance, when they were showing things in Iraq and in a desert region, they show you these dust storms they are huge, and literally thousands of tons of sand shifts yearly on sandstorms. And yet God <laughs> holds the whole earth, the whole world together perfectly. There's no excess sta sand or lack of water. We're not all tilting, going into orbit. He holds us perfectly because God has great wisdom. He's got understanding. He's got knowledge that none of us, you know, sometimes I think when I pray, I almost tell God what to do, and I think, oh, Sandy, <laughs> beware, you know. God, this is what you need to do. No, 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 no. <laughs> you don't direct the Spirit of the Lord, you know. Um, God is great. Listen to the Scripture. In Psalm 147, it says, Great is our Lord, and mighty in power, his understanding is infinite. His understanding is infinite. And you know, I'm, I'm sure we've all heard about the three attributes that, that, um, of God, and they're summed up as follows, and I know for those that are writing notes, this is a great three little points. Now, first of all, God is omnipresent. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere all at once. I heard this at the conference. God never has to go anywhere because he's already there. <laughs> he never has to go anywhere. You can't say to God, God, will you go with them? No, he's, he's everywhere, all at once. He never has to go anywhere. Omnipotent. God is all-powerful. He has unlimited power. There's nothing that he cannot do. You know, regardless of a situation that you might be facing, it might look dire, it might look impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And everything God does has intelligent purpose. You know, everything he does, God is not random. <laughs> he isn't fickle. 
He's not here today, gone tomorrow. Well, I'll see how I feel. He doesn't wake up with a bad mood. You know, he never sleeps, slumbers nor sleeps. We know that. But he's not fickle. His, 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 um, everything he does has intelligent purpose. There is nothing random about him. And the same even at creation. There's nothing random about him. And we're talking about, like Sandy, what are you talking about? We're talking about the Holy Spirit. But I just want you to understand the intentionality of God. That the indwelling Holy Spirit in the life of believer is not God's second best. This was always in the heart of God. I'm going ahead of myself. We're going to be speaking about the indwelling Holy Spirit in a few in, in weeks to come. But today we're going to focus mainly, mainly on the Holy Spirit at creation. But the indwelling Holy Spirit in man has always been God's plan. Always. He, he does things with intelligent purpose. He has a definite goal. He has a definite goal. So he's omnipresent, he's omnipotent, and he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. And he never gets anything wrong. Well, actually... That's not true. It is true. It is true. But I, I, I must relate something that I heard on a message once. I wasn't in this meeting. There was this Pentecostal church somewhere. I don't know where it was. There was this Pentecostal church. In the old days, if a, somebody had like a prophetic word, they, you know, you, it would always be sort of hit and miss. You know, somebody from the congregation would always be the same person. Boop, up they pop. Hear ye, hear ye, thus saith the Lord. Who remembers something like that from old Pentecostal circles? Hear ye, hear ye, thus saith the Lord. And he stood up and he started prophesying. He says, just as Abraham parted the Red Sea, so I'm going to part the Red Sea for you, my children. And he sat down. Two minutes later, hear ye, hear ye. Thus saith the Lord, I've made a mistake. It wasn't Abraham. It was Moses. And he sat down. The point is, God doesn't make mistakes. You know, why didn't the guy have the guts to say, I made a mistake. I wasn't hearing from God too clearly. But God is omniscient. He's all-knowing and he's never wrong. He's never wrong about anything. He knows everything. He knows your past, he knows your present, and he knows your future. He knows it all. Ah, oh, love this. So, let's go to the beginning. Genesis 1, verses 1 to 3. In the beginning, God... Okay, so we've got past the first four words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. What an awesome scripture. Oh, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. But the earth, verse 2, was without form and void. I want you to picture this. Just picture this. God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. The earth 
was a place of chaos. It was chaos. It was shapeless. It was undeveloped. It was desolate. It was isolated. It was empty. This is when God created the heavens and the earth. The message says it like this. Earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. That's what the earth was like when God <laughs> created. There was the, the, the earth was under this roaring ocean. The earth was covered by this roaring ocean. It was covered with darkness. And yet there we find the Holy Spirit. There we find the Holy Spirit of God, the breath of God, the Ruach. The Spirit of God is the breath of God hovering, moving over the face of the deep, over those waters. And you might want to think, surely not. Surely not the Holy Spirit isn't in such a dark place. But you know what? Think about it. Surely not amongst all that chaos, all that emptiness, but he is. He's exactly where he's needed. The Bible says that God says he will never leave us nor forsake us. When we're in a dark place, you've got to remember, God is with you. The Holy Spirit has not left you. He's with you. When you're in that dark place, that's exactly where he's needed. That's exactly where he's needed. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep, turning chaos into order. Turning chaos. The Holy Spirit turns chaos into order. His presence. His presence. The presence of the Holy Spirit brings peace and order and stability. You know, there's nothing more unstable than water. Water is so unstable. And yet here, the Spirit of God, the presence of God brings stability. His presence, I don't know if we sang it or if Chris prayed it, but his presence is strong. His presence is certain. His presence is confident. We can have confidence in the presence of God. It's immovable, steady, steadfast. That's the presence of God. So the Holy Spirit was hovering across the face of the deep. And in Deuteronomy 32, we're not going to go there. In Deuteronomy 32, 11, Moses says these words, that the Lord's presence with Israel in the wilderness was like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that hovers over its young. It's, that's the picture of that hovering, is, is the word for hover. It's the, it's the only two places in the Bible that that word, that specific Hebrew word is used. And it's spoken about, and it's meant to, and it, include, it, it means to brood, to hover, to soar, to relax, to relax. It's like, but there was all this chaos, but the Holy Spirit brings calm, brings peace. And it's um, drawn a parallel 
with that image of, a, of an eagle hovering over its nest, protecting its young with, a, with, a, with, its, with, its, with its little chick in the nest. It's an image of tender love. You know, we often think of the Holy Spirit as this mighty rushing wind, and he is, but he's also tender. He's also gentle, and it's his, it's his confidence. It's the confidence of the Spirit of God. It's his stability that brings peace. When, when that big bird, when that eagle hovers over its nest, it's bringing forth new life. There's new life in that nest. And the same with the work of the hovering spirit. When the Holy Spirit is hovering across the darkness and the water on the, of, of the chaotic earth, it, the earth brings forth, God brings forth life of many kinds. You know, if you're looking for creation, look for the Holy Spirit. Look for the Holy Spirit. If you're, looking, if you're lacking in creativity, ask the Holy Spirit. He's so creative. He gives you ideas. He gives you thoughts. The Holy Spirit is always evident during creation and recreation. Recreation. And we will get to that. Perhaps, you know, what has all got, this all got to do with everything? It's got everything to do with it all. But maybe, you, you, maybe you're experiencing chaos in your life right now. Invite the Holy Spirit. Invite the Holy Spirit. Come brood. Come relax this chaos in my life. His, his presence is confident. It's strong. His, his presence is certain. So creation, we know, is also brought about through the Word of God. You know, immediately after we read that the Spirit of God was hovering across the face of the deep, we are told, God said, let there be light. Let there be light. And there was light. So th the first step from chaos to order is light. And it's the same way that God works in our lives. God works exactly the same way in our lives. The, the Holy Spirit begins every work of creation and recreation. As we hear the word of God, it's the Holy Spirit who's drawing us. He, he hovers over us like that eagle over the nest. He broods over us. Psalm 119 verse 30 says, the entrance of your words give light. The entrance of God's word gives light. When we hear the gospel, when we hear a message about the Lord, that word gives light. And that's how we get saved. The, we hear the word, the, the word brings light, and we are recreated when we respond to the Lord. We are recreated in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit brings forth life. He brings forth life. Ephesians 5, 8 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge 
of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God who commanded light to shine in the darkness, right back in Genesis chapter 1, God commanded the light to shine out of darkness. That same God, that same darkness, God, God has shone his light into our hearts in the knowledge of the glory of God. So we see creation account continues. We all know the account. If we had to go through it day by day, we would be here forever. But we're just going to fast forward to the sixth day when God created man. And we see this in Genesis 2, 7. It says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, the, the ruach, the spirit of God. And man became a living being. When God breathed, you know what? Man is made of one of the most basic elements, dust. <laughs> it has no value. It has no worth. It reappears in my house. Every week I have to keep removing it. It just doesn't go away. It really has no value. It frustrates me, in fact. But that's what we're made of. It has no value. But with God's breath, with that Ruach of God, the God's spirit, man became a living being. That's the difference between us and animals. Animals, I'm sorry to say, those that have lost a pet recently, sorry, your pet has not gone to heaven. If you've got any concerns, write an email to Chris, he will happily answer. But there's no such thing as doggy heaven. Sorry, okay. We are made in the image of sorry, sorry. Oh, I can see some tears shining. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but it's the truth. We are made in the image of God, not dogs, not cats. They're not made in the image of God. So um, we are made in the image of God. And what, and what is the image of God? We are three-part being, triune being. Man is a spirit, he has a soul, and he lives in a body. God is a three-part God, spirit, uh, sorry, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, sorry. <laughs> Got a bit confused there, sure. But um, so we see, we see the Spirit of God at work here in creation. We see him when with, with, um, with forming man out of dust. And fast forward three and a half thousand years, and we see again this, uh, this, um, the work in Ezekiel, chapter 37, when the prophet Ezekiel, um, the Spirit of the Lord takes him shows him in this vision, this valley of dry bones, a valley filled with dry bones. And um, apparently we have about 200 bones in our body. So you can imagine, there were thousands of bones lying in this valley. I don't know how many people that represented. But, and, the, and the Bible says that they were very dry. They'd been dead for a long time. But God instructs Ezekiel to prophesy to the dry bones, which he does. And the Bible says that there's a noise, there's a rattling, there's a coming together, bone on bone. Ooh, actually, it makes me cringe a little bit. You know, you think, oh, when you hurt your knee or something, you hear the bone rattling against the bone. It's like, ew, that's awful. But, um, but anyway, but then the, the sinews come and all the flesh comes and so forth. But there was no life in them. And so God told Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath. So in Ezekiel 37, he says, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, 
come from the four wounds. We're prophesying to the breath, to the spirit of God. We're saying, breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, breath came into them and they lived and they stood up on their feet, a great and exceedingly great army. You know what? If you are facing a situation in your life that seems dead, you think, man, my finances are in a mess. My marriage is in a mess. My relationships are broken. Can, it, can this thing live? Prophesy. Start prophesying. During the conference, we, we heard this, this message uh, from an amazing message. It was, there, was no great sh- there were no great shakes about this message. The title of the message was Push. P-U-S-H. And the detail of it was pray until something happens. Prophesy until something happens. You think your, your, your marriage is over? You start prophesying life into it. You start prophesying, Spirit of God, enter into this marriage. Spirit of God, enter into my finances. Spirit of God, enter into these relationships that are all messed up. Start prophesying until something happens. Don't give up. Don't give up. Those bones were very dead. They had been lying there for a long time, but there's nothing too hard for God. There is nothing too hard for him. So we saw in Genesis 1, the Spirit of God as the breath of God blowing over the waters of the newly created earth. We saw in Genesis 2, 7, the Spirit of God, the breath of God, blowing life into the newly created man. And in Ezekiel, the Spirit of God, the breath of God, moving over the dry bones of Israel, bringing them life and strength. You want some life? You want some strength? Prophesy. Just start prophesying. Man, this is the Word of God. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me. Come on, life. Get back in place. Come on. You're feeling weary. You're feeling tired. Get some sleep, but then also prophesy. Prophesy until something happens. The Holy Spirit of God is the Spirit of life. The Spirit of life. God formed the physical body of man from dust and breathed his breath of life. And he became a living being. Listen to this in in Job. It's not going to come up on the screen. It says this. If God took back his life-giving spirit, all life would cease. Listen to what it says. If it were his intention, if it was God's intention, and he withdrew his spirit and breath, all mankind would perish together, and man would return to the dust. We won't end the service on that note, okay, because that's pretty depressing. Good news is God's not going to withdraw his, pre- his spirit from man. He's not going to withdraw his spirit. Only the spirit of God gives new spiritual life. The Bible says that the spirit gives life. The flesh profits nothing. This flesh is of no value. It is of no value. It profits nothing. Now, the scripture says that the letter of the law kills but the Spirit gives life, the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, if the Spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead 
dwells in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Oh, so looking back at creation, we see the Holy Spirit. We're going we're gonna to continue with this next week, but I just want to see how does this impact our lives today? What relevance has this got? Is there a reality? Can this thing pan out in our lives today? And I want to just close with this. John 3. Jesus was present at creation. He's present this very day at recreation. John 3, a well-known scripture, verses 1 to 8. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So here's this guy. He's religious. He's educated. His name's Nicodemus. He's a Greek. He's been educated, and he's influential. He's a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs, because Jesus had just been performing all these miracles. He didn't turned water into wine. He had healed the nobleman's son. He had cast out demons. And then Nicodemus comes on the scene. He says, um, and, um, no one can do these signs unless you do, uh, that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I love the way Jesus on goes straight, cuts straight to the chase. Hey? He doesn't go through these smoke screens that this guy's putting up. Rabbi, we know you're a teacher because all these signs. Jesus says, you must be born again. Isn't that good? So Nicodemus says, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered and said, most assuredly, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, in the old, the original King James, most assured, most definitely I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit, capital S, is Spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. In other words, you don't have to understand how it all works. You don't have to understand. You just need to be born again. Born again by the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God who draws us. It's the Spirit of God who draws us. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That talking about water, that could be physical birth. That could be, you know, we, uh, uh, we were a bit like that lump of earth covered by the water. When we were in our mother's womb, we were born of, we were born of water. You know, you're, you know that, eh? You, it's not news. Okay, this is how it happened. You know, and the, as the earth was encased in water, when we were in our mother's womb, we were encased in water. So unless you're born of water and the Spirit. The water could also be the Word of God. It could also be the Word of God. There's not sure. It could be anything. could be both. But he says, but born of the Spirit. The breath of God is the Spirit. Your spirit was dead. But at salvation, your spirit is recreated. The Spirit 
of God is the spirit of life. You don't have to understand everything about the new birth. You don't have to. You just have to experience it. I love what it says in Ephesians 2.10 in the Amplified, and Pastor Gina touched on this last week. Wasn't it an amazing message last week by Pastor Gina? And in Ephesians 2.10 in the Amplified, it says, we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, that work of art, recreated, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew. The Amplified says, born anew, reborn from above, spiritually transformed and renewed, restored and refreshed. Man, I remember my day of salvation like it was yesterday. It was life-changing, life-changing. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He changes our lives. We were dead, but the spirit of life comes into us and when, at salvation when we respond to the Lord. Romans 8 verse 2 says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. The source of new life comes into effect the minute we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I love what the message says on that. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing, freeing you from a lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Like a strong wind, magnificently clearing the air. You know, I remember the first day after my salvation, 15th of September, 1991, on the 16th, I remember waking up. It was like everything was new. Everything was new. The air was fresh. Everything was new. He makes all things new. The Holy Spirit, we sang about it this morning, is the spirit of freedom. Freedom from guilt, freedom from condemnation, freedom from shame, freedom from sin, freedom from fear. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of life. I want to end where we started, Revelation twenty-two seventeen. It's not going to come up on the screen unless Johnny can do his magic. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Three times the word come is in that one verse. Repetition means significance. The Holy Spirit is saying, come, come, come drink of me. If you've heard my voice, maybe today you've heard the voice of the Holy Spirit, maybe for the first time. Maybe you've never experienced something like this before, but you've sensed the Holy Spirit of God hovering over your heart. Maybe he's hovered like that eagle hovers over, the, over her new life. You've sensed the Spirit of God hovering over your heart across the face of your deep. And he says, those who hear, those who thirst, come. Come to, the, come to the, take the water of life. So are you thirsty? Do you want more of the Holy Spirit? 
you want more of God, then come back next week.